Hello, Marcus Brigstock here. For rights reasons, we are not able to include all of the music featured in the original Cabinet of Jazz radio series. I would urge you, beg you, plead with you to head in the direction of whatever streaming service you have or vinyl records you have or whatever you've got and go and listen to this incredible music. of Jazz with Marcus Brigstock on Jazz FM. Listening Colour. Hello and welcome to the Cabinet of Jazz on Jazz FM here at Peter Express Holborn. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Marcus Brigstock. Thank you so much for being here. When Dizzy Gillespie won the US presidency in 1964... <laughs> He changed the face of global politics. We know this. He was, of course, returned to office in 1968 and then resigned a year later after a row with his vice president, Otis Redding, who had failed to inform anyone of his accidental death in 1967 in a plane crash. Um, As we know, of course, um, history tells us, the presidency was then taken up by Dave Brubeck, who changed Eastern Standard Time to 5-4 time and made everyone either slightly late or slightly early for everything until 1972 when Sister Rosetta became president and died a year later. Now, look, some of what I've said there may seem implausible until you remember that um, bad actor Ronald Reagan was actually president (laughs) for eight years. A pair of bushes served three (laughs) terms between them and that mewling reality show Oompa Loompa in a nappy and a wig was allowed to sit in the Oval Office for four years saying, China, China, China over and over again. Suddenly, the notion for Diz for president seems not only plausible, but actually a very, very solid idea. Now, what would the world look like if the land of the free and the home of the brave was actually the land of the free jazz and the home of the goateed, horn-blowing, berry-wearing jazz legend? Well, across this series, I'm asking musicians, actors, comedians, and obsessive jazz nuts to give me their nominations. And tonight at Peter Express, Hoban, with the help of our live audience, Thank you, everybody. Woohoo, indeed. My guest will assemble her cabinet of jazz, and I've invited her to pick four musicians and tell me why they should be put in charge of running the free world. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to welcome an actor, a comedian, musician, author, a mate of mine. Uh, She may be best known to you in the role of Dobby from Peep Show, unless you've been lucky enough to see her perform live. Ladies and gentlemen, I am delighted to welcome to the stage the next president of the United States of Jazz, Izzy Sooty. you hello look at us together in an actual room i know so nice great to see you and you you've been okay i've been yes it's just lovely to be here and <laughs> actually see people in real life so nice yeah isn't it? so nice now let's quickly you haven't wasted your time through this uh, there's been this um bug going around i don't know if any of you <laughs> clocked that uh but it's been a weird time for creative people you've been busy writing a book Yes, I was really lucky that I was doing the rewrites in this, yes, this time of the bug. And Um, it's out now? It's out, yes, it's called Jane is Trying. It's a novel about um, a woman who who discovers that her boyfriend's cheating on her and departs for her hometown of Derbyshire and then has to learn to stand on her own two feet. 
Yes, that's and a, it's not based on me. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a, a tense book to write at home during lockdown with your partner in the house. Yeah. When you're from Derbyshire and the place in the book is very similar to your hometown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Izzy, I was so uh, pleased. That I'm, obviously, I know your musical comedy, but I didn't know uh, how passionate you are about jazz music. I was delighted to discover. I am. Like, I, I was thinking about this on the way here because I thought, why does jazz have such an enduring presence in my life? And I think it's because of two things, actually. I think it's because it's been with me through thick and thin. Um, and I think jazz is very versatile as a genre. I think it can be, you can feel like you're being enveloped in a warm hug and it can feel like you're drinking the best port and just lying on a chaise long. Or it can make you... Actually, I really want to do that now. Yeah. <laughs> or it can make you want to get up and dance and kind of fight for something. And I don't yeah. think there are that... I don't think there's another genre of music that does that for me, that I can listen to when I'm in lots of different moods and at mm. lots of different stages of my life, actually. I agree. I, it's also the only music when I'm writing a new tour show... I can play jazz music and it it helps me to think in interesting ways. I'll play a record and listen to the way that they play with melody and theme. It's also, I've found a very helpful way of driving people I don't much like out of my house. <laughs> I put on some of the more difficult Ornette Coleman yeah. stuff and they, they leave straight away. Well, my partner likes free jazz, which is too much for me. It's um, a bit like eating those chilies that you see people eat on YouTube. <laughs> um, and he was playing that a bit in lockdown and it nearly drove me out of the house, but it was illegal to go out. Yeah, so, so you literally yeah. had to stay and learn, <laughs> learn to love free jazz. Okay, Izzy, I need to swear you in. Now, usually yes. presidents are sworn in on a Bible, but I didn't want to invite you to commit an act of blasphemy. So we put the Bible back in the hotel bedside drawer where we found it and left a chocolate and a tiny shampoo for the Gideons. <laughs> if there are any um, Gideons here this evening, thank you so much for your Bibles. Um, I've got loads of them. I've built a sort of igloo out of them. Anyway, uh, you won't be using a Bible. You will be swearing in on this that we've brought along. Look at this. I know. Did you want to tell everybody what this is that we've actually oh, got in yes, our hands? Yes, I do. Um, so this is a tube ticket to Camden Town. Um, and the reason that I chose this is I used to go to the Jazz Cafe in Camden on a Sunday morning when there used to be a jam and you could pay like maybe even a pound and just sit there for as long as you wanted. And I absolutely loved it. And I play guitar. I don't play. I did want to play sax when I was younger, but my mum thought I wouldn't stick to it. So I, that's how I started guitar. <clears throat> but I... I used to watch these musicians and just be absolutely spellbound. And we didn't have any money. Um, we were students and graduates. And I just used to go the whole time and, and love it. And it was nearly as good as going in the evenings to me. It was just so yeah, rich. Yeah. And I love that you went to jazz church on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Just went to worship. So how old were you when you were going to early morning Sunday jazz? Well, um, I definitely remember going a lot when I graduated. I was 22 yeah. then. And then I what went a, a bit when I was cool at What a cool early 20s person. I know. Well, I was going out with a guy who played jazz, in inverted commas. <laughs> um, uh. And um, <laughs> he was lovely. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, he tried. Um, it's so, so important, to, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was actually good, but... Um, I don't know. It just, uh, yeah. He 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 always said, "I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up," and then he just 
he just didn't. And I, I used to say, I'm going to get up and sing. I, I just wouldn't have got up and played the guitar because I don't play that. I don't play jazz guitar. Um, and I would have just forgotten every chord I'd ever learned it. But I thought I could get up and sing. But I, once I, I, the standard was amazing. I used to yeah. sit there and think, no, we'll, we'll just stay here. So your your holy item is in your hand, your tube ticket to Camden. This is obviously an antique relic that we've managed to get specially for for the show tonight. So if you could place your hand, please, on your ticket and read the jazz oath that I've written for you. As sure as this ancient ticket rests in my hand, I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States of Jazz against all enemies and even if a novice soloist has gone on for far too long and lost both the metre and the melody, I will listen respectfully and clap and or click my fingers at the end. I will bear truth, faith and allegiance to a musical form that is sometimes maligned by the incurious, plundered by the unoriginal and occasionally played as background music in hotel lifts. I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office stroke smoky late night jazz club on which I am about to enter. So help me, Diz. So help you, Diz. You are now president of the free world of jazz. I know, the swearing in so simple and wonderful. Uh, so, Izzy, let's start with this. Do you think that the world would be a better place if it was run by jazz musicians. I mean, yes. you've dated one, so you'd have some I've idea. dated a few, actually. All right. Um, yeah, I do. do. I mean, not based on the guys I've dated. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> um, but yes, I do. I think they have to be organised. Yep. They have to turn up to do... They turn up on time. Um, I think some of them have amazing worldviews, which mm -hmm. I will come on to. Yeah. Um, I genuinely think that. Um, and... I don't see why not. I think everyone would have a better time and everyone would have jazz in their lives. And you, I mean, you can tell the ones, the ones who don't practice, you can tell. The ones who are incapable of listening, you can tell. They, yes. don't, they don't make good musicians they, and they don't make good politicians as we're discovering on a daily basis. <laughs> Absolutely. And you have to let everyone have their turn with jazz and you step back and you respect them. Yeah. So you'd be able to spot people who trample all over other people's views immediately. Yeah, yeah. Well, folks, we've met and inaugurated our president of the week, Izzy Sooty. So now we need to find out who's in her cabinet. Izzy, uh, we're going to play a piece of music now. You can tell us who this is and why you've selected this person and for what role. Who was that? That was Duke Ellington. Amazing. And yes. Uh, the track is Blue Pepper. And I have selected him to be the Supreme Court appointee. A Supreme Court judge? Yeah. Cool. I don't know why people are laughing at that. That's a, a perfectly reasonable suggestion, as Izzy will now make clear. Yes, I will. Why did you select uh, Duke Ellington for, uh, for the Supreme Court? So Duke Ellington, throughout his life, did great work for racial inequality and also... Not to bring it about, like to combat racial inequality. No, to inequality. combat it, yeah. Yeah, that's and important. Like, he... Um, yeah, very anti-racial inequality. And um, he cared a lot about his community. He, I think he'd have a great judgment because everyone says that he was a brilliant character. He was a gentleman. He's got such dignity about him and he really cared for people. He even 
he he loaned money to new musicians who didn't have the money, say like fifty dollars to buy a saxophone. Some black musicians were refused money from white banks, mm-hmm. and he like in those days. So he just were... loaned them because uh, you know, as the leader of the band, presumably he was making pretty decent money. And as an as a writer, he so. just loaned yeah. loan the money, get them a, an instrument. Yeah, he is. He just cool. cared a lot about. Yeah, so he is. Uh, I think deserving of one of the highest positions. All right, I'm I'm half convinced. Yeah, uh, and presumably, you know, as a leader of a big band as well, he was used to listening to the concerns of large groups of people. Yeah, I would have thought so. But well, I mean, if you've got like loads of musicians who get to a gig and there isn't any food, yeah, you might have to go and talk to the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I imagine he was good at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Duke Ellington led an amazing tour uh, on behalf of the U.S. State Department as a jazz ambassador in the 60s. I don't know if you knew this, perhaps you already did, uh, in places including India, Syria, Turkey, Ethiopia, Zambia and Afghanistan. And there's a really cool interview that he gave on Parkinson talking about playing in Kabul and how um, the audience that they were playing there, he's, he's very funny, you have to look it up, but he, he, he's sitting there, he's like, and we're playing, and you didn't know where the people were digging our sound, and then everybody got up and they just they just left, they just left, we, we didn't know. And it turns out they, they left to go and pray, you know, they got their own thing going on, and <laughs> then they came back, turns out they loved it. And he had, oh. he had no idea, but he played, he played Kabul. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So maybe it would have been good for him to know in advance they're all going to leave at this time. Someone should have said, right? <laughs> don't worry, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. If they all get up and leave at once, don't panic. But I yeah. think that puts him in a pretty good position, you know, as a Supreme Court justice. He toured oh, the sure. world. He's, yeah, he's seen a lot. And also, I think his music, mm-hmm. that track for me, is very, very energetic. And I mm-hmm. think it sort of inspires change. And that's what I meant when I said that some jazz kind of makes you want to sit back and on the chaise long. And mm-hmm. when I, when I listen to that, I don't want to sit back. I mm. want to, it makes me want to do something. Yeah. 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 It's full of energy and so tight as well. Like it blows my mind how that many musicians are so beautifully in sync. Was he, do you know if he was kind of tyrannical if the band weren't up to scratch, did he kick no, I, people I, out? I don't know, but I'd like to think he wasn't. Um, but that's probably because <laughs> I just really love his music. So I don't want to hear anything against him. Um, but I, no, I, I don't, I haven't heard anything. I, from what I hear, he was a lovely, caring, disciplined, passionate yeah. guy, you know. And um, endlessly creative. Yeah. I'll tell you a concern I've got if we let him be a Supreme Court judge. And I, I picked this out because it's, similar to my own behavior. He used to regularly go on diets, extreme diets, often consisting of just steak and grapefruit juice and coffee. And I know from having tried similar things as an emergency weight loss protocols that it will affect your mood. So I think we might have to, if we make him a Supreme Court judge, give him some time off when he's on a diet. Yeah, or time his schedule so that he's just eating the steak beforehand so he's got all the energy yeah you'd have to work round his before, eating before the crash kicks in yeah. yeah 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 yes um or eat half the steak before you could probably discuss it with him i reckon yeah i assume so yeah <laughs> yeah get him get him just after he's had the grapefruit juice when he's still a bit a bit zingy from yes it. yeah and then have the steak work. after about an hour yeah 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 sure 
I love how, how willing you are just to work through his his dietary requirements. I think we can keep Duke Ellington reasonable if we feed him very carefully. Yes, he he's, has to eat when we tell him he's to. He's more like a gremlin than anything at this stage. <laughs> Uh, the story goes when uh, early on when he was uh, when he was playing venues that he used to get someone to burst in through the venue and announce the Duke is here. The Duke is here. Do you know this? No. And then, it, yeah, and instead of instead of coming on from the back, he'd walk on from the uh, from the front and he'd walk through the crowd and get up and get up and play Would like you? back in the early days. Yeah. yeah, yeah because yeah. Duke wasn't his birth name was it duke was not his real name but they used to they used to march through the venue and say the duke is here and i quite like the idea of that as well on the supreme court oh as yeah comes that in. Fits. the duke is here yeah. and he'd, he'd march in by the way i should have explained to the audience uh any of the people who we're appointing it does not matter if they're dead <laughs> this is just a few people going um okay point just uh, one thing you may wish to consider guys almost all of the people we're discussing here are dead no not not all but but most all right well i i mean i'm i'm pretty persuaded by this what, what do you think ladies and gentlemen you think you'd make a good good supreme court judge yeah all right it seems the eyes have it but are there any objections <laughs> No, someone, someone voting it. No, we've checked. No, no, no. All right, good. Well, he's in. He's on the Supreme Court. Excellent choice. And if you don't know Izzy's selection there, Blue Pepper, Far East of the Blues, do go and check that out. Incredible stuff. Um, Izzy, who is your choice, please, for Secretary of State? My choice for Secretary of State is Chet Baker. All right, let's hear a piece of Chet Baker now. Okay, now everybody gently wake up. <laughs> okay, gently, gently. Those of you who've drifted off, just shake each other. The wonderful Chet Baker there, I get along without you very well. And you want Chet Baker to be Secretary of State? Yeah, Okay. I do. Um, he spent a lot of time in Paris and he, he I think it's no secret that he had his demons um, mm. and... Uh, he didn't get away from them by going to Paris, but I think the Secretary of State has to be au fait with, you know, the foreign policy, different countries. Um. <laughs> Where, for example, if one is travelling overseas, one could get hold of the sorts of things one might want to find if one were overseas <laughs> and called Chet Baker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was re very resourceful. <laughs> It's too heartbreaking, isn't it? <laughs> We've strayed immediately into his uh, into his problems with addiction, which are well documented. But tell me about you and Chet Baker. I'm not suggesting you had a relationship with him, but uh, <laughs> I would have tried. Um, oh yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, absolutely. Before before the first major attack, what a beautiful man. If he'd been at the jazz cafe on Sunday mornings doing their jam session, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Izzy, look, I'm, as far as I'm aware, predominantly straight. I went to boarding school, but apart from that, and if <laughs> early, early Chet Baker, absolutely no question at all. I'd have switched sides in a heartbeat. His voice, like, so the, the way I got introduced to Chet Baker is that my Uncle Dick, who lives on the Isle of Wight and is absolutely brilliant and really loves music, um, sent my mum three cassette tapes. Mm -hmm. And one of them was Chet Baker and one of them was Tom Waits. Um, and one of them was the Travelling Wilburys. Um, and, uh, Don't snigger at the Travelling Wilburys, <laughs> whoever that was. It was the perfectly legitimate supergroup. 
<laughs> yeah. And that was my introduction to Chet Baker. So I acquired these three cassette tapes. And I used to listen to them again and again and again. And I just love his voice. I love the slowness and the languid quality. Mm. It's like, I'm going to go this slowly. And if you guys don't want to, then I don't care. Like, it's just come with me just slow right down I just think and obviously not all his songs are, are that slow mm. but I think there's a definite kind of he's got a unique um, tone and a unique way of singing I think that and is, so delicate there's yeah. something uh, you know perhaps it's patronising but like after almost any Chet Baker sings record you feel like you could just gently approach him and put a blanket round him and go <laughs> Chet it's going to be okay. Yeah, and actually, there's a lot of pain in... I think, in a way, it was a curse for him to be so good-looking because um, he had so much pain within yeah. him. And what he's singing about often is pain, but it's done in this incredibly calm, silky way. Yeah. So I like that. I like the two elements kind of fighting each other within the song. I think... Um, I get along without you very well is one of my favourites. Let get let's get lost is a, a huge uh, track for me. It always has been, but it, um, I've always found it quite funny to think of him leaving. I get along without you very well as an answer phone message for an ex. <laughs> yeah. I get along without you very well. You'd phone him immediately, wouldn't you, and be like, "Okay, listen, we can talk. Yeah. We can reconsider this. Just." Just be okay, Chet. Just, just, just be okay. Yeah, because he was a brilliant instrumentalist as well, wasn't yeah. he? For all that, you know, we, we touched on the addiction stuff. He was musically often on fire when he was in Europe and found, as lots of musicians did, a real freedom and encouragement and a passion for his music. He said that the Europeans had a, a better ear than, uh, than, than the Americans. So, But you, you, you kind of got to know... Chet Baker's music, right? When you were sharing a flat with a Hungarian, a Slovenian, a Norwegian, and a Hungarian—is that right? Yes. Hungarian, Slovenian, and a Norwegian. It yeah. sounds like the setup for a joke. <laughs> Did it sound Talk like me through it. it. Yeah, we could have written a sitcom. So yes, I was in my second year of college and um, ended up living with these uh, three other students who I didn't know. And it was great. Um, I lived in the living room for a term because it was a three-bedroom house. And then the Hungarian guy who spoke virtually no English would come down and speak Hungarian in the middle of the night on the landline. And also the Hungarian guy kept all of his food under his bed all the time. Yeah, so, like, raw meat. Under uh, his bed? Yes. Um, huh. uh, his knife and fork, his plate. Well, that's sensible. Yeah. That's reasonable. It's the raw meat that that is a concern. I know. And he carried it around in a plastic bag with him all the time. <laughs> Took a bag of meat round yes. with him. Wow. And would he cook the meat in, in the flat? Uh-huh. Yeah. How was that meat? Did you ever have <laughs> I any? I never had it. <laughs> really? I'm glad wow. I didn't have it. I really I was love the, in my room. the juxtaposition yeah. of you delicately listening to Chet Baker records and getting lost in the softness and vulnerability of his music while a large Hungarian man had a bag of meat <laughs> and a knife and fork under his bed. Under his bed, yeah. You really, really, really need to write the show of this Yes, you're this absolutely time, right, yeah. This time in your life. All right, well, I mean, obviously, I, I have some concerns about him being Secretary of State because he was more than a little flaky. But I guess with the right resources, 
maybe you could help Chet get past his problems with addiction. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he really, for me, his songs are, they, if I had to imagine a country when I was hearing them, it would be Paris, more mm-hmm. so than some other jazz musicians. So that was enough of a reason for me. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Perfectly solid. And they love him in Paris. Uh, I'm curious. There seems, I think there's some hesitation amongst the mm. audience. <laughs> Chet Baker as Secretary of State. What do we think? Oh, oh. <laughs> Better than the yes. one we've got. <laughs> Sure, yeah. I mean, that's an absolute given. Um, all right. Well, I, Ezzy, I think you've, I think you've made the case quite nicely. So I'm gonna, under advisement, I'm gonna keep considering your suggestion okay. of Chet Baker, Secretary of State. But thank you for the, um, thank you for the selection. I get along without you very well because it made me go back and listen to a bunch more Chet Baker when I was researching this. Yeah, I researched it. <laughs> Not much. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're recording this live at Pizza Express Hoban and I've set the audience to work coming up with their own ideas for cabinet members. Uh, let's see what some of you have said. Um, who would you put in the cabinet of jazz? Moses Boyd to lead us to the promised land. I mean, great, but that does sound sort of cult-like. <laughs> that's, that's a little bit worrying. It's kind of end of days. I'm not going to read that one. That's filth. Um, got here. Oh, this one I think is very cool. Whoever wrote this, um, who would be in your cabinet of jazz? Robert Johnson, role minister for recycling. Why? He made very good use of a broken bottleneck. <laughs> he did. There's, not everybody in the room got that, but I liked him very, very much. So far, Izzy has selected uh, Duke Ellington and Chet Baker as members of her cabinet of jazz. But let's have a listen to this, and then, Izzy, you can tell us who we're listening to. Who was that? That was Joni Mitchell... And Charlie Mingus. uh, And it's called The Dry Cleaner from Des Moines. Which, if nothing else, is a very, very cool title for... It's, like, intriguing. You want to know more about it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is from the record that Joni Mitchell made with Charlie Mingus on Asylum Records. Sadly, he died before they completed the work, but it's got some phenomenal music on it with a kind of blazing love between Mingus and Joni Mitchell. It is very joyful and sometimes very weird. Yeah, it is, and it's quite... Bear. Some of them, there's a lot of acapella and there's mm-hmm. kind of not much going on. Then other ones like that, I think are quite frantic. It's like being on a roller coaster. And I really recommend listening to it because it, it's like a story about a dry cleaner from Des Moines in um, a Las Vegas casino who keeps winning more and more money and can't believe their luck. And Joni kind of is narrating, I suppose, and, and watching them. And it's beautiful and it kind of captures I think the frivolity of Las Vegas and I think yeah it's so colourful and energetic and brilliant and then other tracks on that album as you say they've sing happy birthday there's one called God Must Be a Boogeyman that's kind of much slower and 
I think that was finished two days after Mingus died and she yeah. said that he would have found that funny and there's quite a lot of humour on the album actually, isn't there? Mm, yeah, loads, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed going back and listening to this. So what cabinet position would you like Joni Mitchell to have? So I've given her Secretary of the Environment. Now, mm-hmm. she's not massively known for her environmental views, but she cares a lot about the earth and kind of keeping things natural. Um, mm. And also Big Yellow Taxi has become an environmental album, hasn't it, from, mm. you know, in, in the 70s um, and still is. So I thought that was a good fit, really. I think it's a good call. She's passionate. She said, there's a couple of quotes here. She says, my heart is broken in the face of the stupidity of my species. She she must have really enjoyed the last couple of years. Um, uh, She's quite the float, though. I mean, as an environment secretary, we are stardust, billion-year-old carbon. We've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Do you not worry that she would tick too many of the stereotypes. Of what? Of, of, of like the sort of floaty, unwashed environmentalists. Yeah, but I think that's what we need, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we need, Fair enough. we need that. I think she'd be good. And also she's so talented. She could just start mm-hmm. singing. She could sing. And actually this applies to all of them. They could sing their policies. Yeah. I mean, they'd be remembered, wouldn't they, if if a new policy announcement was performed as a gig. Wait a minute, this is a great idea. Yes. This is a whole new show. And also, you could distract people if you're trying to get something through. Yeah. And you you could you could do an amazing trumpet solo in the middle of it, and then they'd remember that, and they'd go, "Yeah, we'll we'll vote for it." I love this. I if Keir Starmer, if you're listening to this right now, this could be what turns it round. The, the growing popularity of jazz, I think, is what's going to save the dying Labour Party at the moment. And if Jacob Rees-Mogg is listening, uh, jazz is a new form of music. Um, um, I mean, Joni Mitchell said, I've got these great quotes. She said, I see the entire world as Eden. And every time you take an inch of it away, you must do so with respect. The considerations of a corporation, especially now, have nothing to do with art or music. She was an amazing, amazing kind of truth teller. She also was very good at conveying her disappointment with audiences that were unruly. Was she? She was, yeah, because she was quite kind of soft and gentle, but she has a way. She's not like Nina Simone, who like, if you crossed her during a gig, you're like, (laughs) run for cover. But Joni has this way of conveying absolute disappointment, which... You know, in in the model of Greta Thunberg, I think is what's needed environmentally. Yeah, you've got to have that backbone. I think this one's pretty convincing. I think this, yeah, I think it's foolproof. (laughs) Foolproof, okay. Foolproof, watertight. All right, yeah. It's been a long pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) Watertight. Well, I say yes. What do the members of the audience think? Do you think? This This has gone straight through. Yeah. There are a couple of SUV drivers sitting with their arms folded going, well, I need somewhere to bloody well park. <laughs> uh, good. All right. So Joni Mitchell is Secretary of State for the Environment. Um, let's come to your last choice now. This is the Secretary of State for Misfits. And before we say who it is, let's just play someone everyone will know. The Secretary of State for Misfits. Who was that? 
That was Tom Waits. Yeah, performing Step Right Up. What a tune that is. I tried to memorise that once. Yes, I did. And I nearly, and I thought, if I memorise it, I can do it at karaoke. Yes. (laughs) There aren't that many places that have that track. Oh, yeah, good call, yeah. Yeah, If you go to Chinatown, they don't tend to, you know, those basement karaoke places. Do you have Step Right Up? Or do you have have What's He Building In There by Tom Waits? (laughs) That's um, uh, my wife and I just just had a baby seven weeks ago, which is why some of this is incoherent. Uh, um, and uh, he makes the most extraordinary noise. You've got two little kids, you know, like they make the weirdest noises. Like this. And my teenage son overheard him and just just quietly whispered in my ear, "What's he building in there?" Oh. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah, my boy, my oldest son is really, really into Tom Waits. I think he heard him on an interview. Someone asked him if he was drunk and, and Waits replied, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. <laughs> Very cool. He's so funny. I've seen him live twice. Um, have you? I never yeah. have. I'd love to see Waits live. He was brilliant both times, I'm afraid. Um, sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. I saw him at Hammersmith. This is years ago, and I just split up with a guy, um, not one of the jazz musicians actually, uh, and um, we decided to still go. So we'd split up about four days earlier, but we'd got these tickets, and we were like, "You're not going to not go." No, and, and then you it was can't... a sort of thing of, "Shall one of us go?" Well, I'm going, you know, that kind of thing. So we, we if went. it's a boyfriend, not a husband, you can't have a custody battle that quickly over the tickets. <laughs> yeah. So true. You keep yeah. the kids. I'm going to see Tom Waits. Uh, and how was it? The awkward gig? It was awkward, but the, it was worth it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I'd i made this guy um, a, a penguin out of papier-mâché. Um, <laughs> yes. Bear with me. Uh, penguins were his favourite animal. This isn't Tom Waits, mm. uh, the guy I was going out with. Um, and I made him this penguin out of chicken wire and papier-mâché and it actually was much bigger in the end than I had intended it to be. It was about five feet high and its name was Roy and um, it had a detachable head made out of a stuffed lampshade um, and wings that had felt on them and um, shelves in, in its tummy which were a last minute addition and he was quite unappreciative of this penguin. Um, what? How? On what grounds? Well, I had to take it on the bus to... And the bus driver nearly charged me for this penguin because it was as big, bigger than, you know, the average human, actually. Um, and then the driver said, go on, then get on. And everyone was like, what's that? Is it a badger? And it was. And then I got it to the flat and he just didn't. Um, he was just like, oh. And then Roy just <laughs> remained in the corner of the room and his shelves were never used, which really annoyed me because it was actually really hard to construct these shelves out of wire and cover them with papier-mâché. Anyway... Um, we used to listen to Tom Waits a lot in, in that relationship. And I, whenever I find it hard, even now, to listen to that album that Step Right Up is on, which is Small Change, mm. um, at, at times, because not because I in any way mourn the relationship, but just because it just reminds me of that period of my life and what I was doing then and making penguins for people. And yeah, it's sometimes like, wow, I think music's so powerful in that way. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it, when there's music that you absolutely love that's associated with an old relationship. It's, yes. It can be really... There's a few tracks 
that kind of like that I can't listen to that they're too complicated now. yeah it's not necessarily that you're like I wish I was with that person because I'm not I'm sure you're not it's just like the complicated feelings it throws up about how you behaved back then and mm. kind of yeah so as Secretary of State for Misfits I like this very much as a wild card position because there are more misfits or more people who think they're misfits than I think we realise we're both comedians so almost everyone we know either is or believes they're a misfit. Yes. Are you a misfit? Um, I definitely was at school. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you made a penguin for a guy. Yeah. You're 100% a misfit. The proof is in the penguin-shaped pudding. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. I would guess most of the musicians we've discussed this evening, most of the jazz musicians saw themselves somehow as a misfit and found a tribe or found something in in music that made sense to them. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the the reason that I gave Tom Waits this position is I think he writes so eloquently about misfits and about being a misfit. And I think he notices the kind of jagged edges in in everyday situations and he's such an amazing storyteller and live he's so funny like he's like a stand-up yeah Um, between songs he's amazing off the cuff yeah no he Mm. is he's hilarious the first first track i ever heard of his was one called hang on saint christopher which is one of the ones he does like fully and I, i remember it was on this compilation tape and it blew my little teenage mind. I was like, what on earth is this? And he was a great musician to explore because like most of the music that I like the most, there's a bunch of stuff that I didn't like. But yes. then the stuff that I did like was so rewarding. I mean, when I, I can still play uh, Looking for the Heart of Saturday Night. Any day of the week, doesn't have to be on a weekend, still play that and it just stops me in my tracks. Yeah, it's great. I think that era for me is my favourite era um, yeah. his modern stuff sometimes I feel it's just slightly maybe slightly too much for me it's like too bangy. rich yeah he does say that he has like I don't know if he has anger issues I think he's actually figured it out I'll, I'll read you what he said he says, I have a lot of violent impulses no, that's not great uh, but he says it gets channeled into music so maybe it is great I like to play drums when I'm angry at home I have a metal instrument called the conundrum <laughs> with a lot of things hanging off it that I've found metal objects and I like playing it with a hammer I love it drumming is therapeutic I wish I'd found it when I was younger so I mean that's it isn't it you know taking that that sense of being a misfit that sense of anger and just hitting something to make a sound you know, and, yeah. and make something interesting. Yeah, you're letting it out. You're using it creatively. I really like the idea of there being a minister for misfits, someone who just keeps an eye on those who don't fit. I genuinely believe, like, in in this country, if there were just someone whose job it was to look out for the kinds of people who might fall through the cracks, whatever they might look like or whatever their day-to-day life is, that would be a pretty cool thing. Yes. So, I, uh, I'm going to automatically approve this one, whether the audience likes it or not. <laughs> Turns out they do. Uh, so, Izzy, we're pretty much out of time. If you were president yourself, I mean, you are right now, what would be a thing or a couple of things that you would do? I would make it the law that everyone has to listen to half an hour of jazz a day. I mean, this is actually sounding a bit Orwellian now, isn't it? Quite... That's fine. That's fine. Do you I think, think it's so? perfectly reasonable. I think it could be piped into people's houses. Yeah. No? No. <laughs> I 
tell you what then, okay, I'm going to refine it on the hoof. Everyone gets delivered a hand-picked jazz half hour, depending on their mood and depending on what's happened to them recently. And that's what they have to listen to. Oh, nice. All right. That's good. And as president, you've sworn to... uh to protect the United States of jazz from all enemies. What do you think are the enemies of jazz? And for jazz, you can use creativity if, if you want. Um, the enemies of jazz. Um... Don't say Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the enemies of jazz are probably hairdressers, actually, yeah. because they like to chat. And I think when you're listening to jazz, it's important to be quiet. Yeah, fair enough. No. But I think hairdressers are great too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've stopped talking to mine at all. Oh, what, I so don't even say. Question, you... Yeah, no. When they say what what do you want, I just shrug and let them get on with it. <laughs> they know what they're doing. I haven't got a clue. I've still got some hair on my head. It's fine. Uh, well, sadly, that's all the time we have. Let me firstly say huge thanks to you. And my thanks also to my producer Debbie Kilbride, exec producer Alison Vernon Smith, and of course to Pizza Express here in Hoban for hosting us. The Cabinet of Jazz is a Loftus production for Jazz FM and we'll be back with more next week, so don't miss out. In the meantime, thanks again, President Izzy Sooty. <laughs> Izzy Sooty, ladies and gentlemen, our president. <laughs>